Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, June 19th. We begin with our weekly chat with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We'll get the mayor's thoughts on this week's city council vote in favour of the Green Line LRT, as well as the importance of recognizing Neighbour Day this year amidst the pandemic. Next, we get the latest on the Conservative leadership race. Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, gives us his thoughts on the two televised debates that took place this week as well as a breakdown as to what the next steps are before a leader is chosen. Are you traveling this summer? How have your plans changed? We look at the impact COVID-19 has had on the decisions families are making surrounding holidays this year. It's called Donate to Appreciate by a Hospital Employee a Coffee. We get details on the homegrown initiative which aims to give recognition to our frontline healthcare workers. There's no shortage of news happening in the United States right now, that's for sure. From the latest on the coronavirus to the president's controversial campaign rally this weekend, we catch up with Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. And finally, when he's not making a difference in his community wearing a superhero costume, he's running a charity he created to combat depression. We meet our next community champion nominee. 743 lots happening in the city this week. Topping the list, I think, probably would be the approval of the Green Line. Joining us with our weekly checkup on the state of the city of Calgary, we're joined by Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Good morning. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Okay, big, long debate. Controversial Green Line goes through. And now we hear from the province, they're going to look into their portion of the funding. Did that come as a surprise to you? No, not at all. Uh, We had... Our big debate uh, at council, as you say, in the end, it passed 14 to 1. There seems to have been sort of a a lot of drama over very little um, before that debate uh, happened. But we always knew, look, it's $1.5 billion for the province. And they always have said, listen, we're not getting involved in your debate. Once you guys have made the decision, once you've passed it, then we have to do our own technical analysis. Uh, It's a lot of money. And just make sure everything's okay. And I'm not worried about that at all. Our our technical work is rock solid here. And the recommendations that we passed on Monday actually said the next stage is for Alberta and Canada to take a look at this and to finalize their funding agreements. I mean, it's worth remembering that both the government of Canada and the government of Alberta have already committed to the project. It would be very difficult for them to actually get out of it. Okay. They do need to do their analysis. Okay, fair. Yeah, then, then let's move on to the other uh, big piece of news with the, uh, of course, uh, referendum on equalization. Perhaps it was floated that maybe we should have that during the municipal election. What are your thoughts on, on, on that? I don't love that idea. Um, I think that uh, certainly it's cheaper to do it during the municipal election, but cheap is not always good for democracy. The municipal elections across the country, across the province, are the moments where people can actually focus on their city, on their city councillor, their school board, on the mayor. And I think that's important. And I don't want to distract people with other things on the ballot. You know, you hear in U.S. states where they have all of their elections on one day. They have tons of citizen initiatives on that one day. And, you know, the people at the end of the ballot really get short trips because no one is paying attention to them. And I think that it's important that we focus on the local elections. I don't want it to be disrespectful of the local election uh, to do all these other things. And one of my colleagues jokingly said, well, if they're going to have a referendum on a fair deal for Canada, uh, for Alberta and Canada, maybe on the same day we should have a plebiscite on a fair deal for Calgary and uh, Alberta. Because? Because Calgary, of course, citizens of Calgary, our taxpayers, mm. pay far more 
in taxes to the government of Alberta than we get back in any government services from the government of Alberta. So the equalization issue in Canada, we always talk about it as though it's between provinces. It's actually between cities and everywhere else. Interesting. Even texters, even you know, messaging in here saying it, it, there, there's a theory on Twitter that the equalization referendum would be a, a conservative strategy to manipulate the outcome of municipal elections. So I'm sure we'll be talking more about that as we go on. But I wanted to give you a quick uh, chance to plug Neighbor Day coming up tomorrow. Thank you so much. Tomorrow is Neighbor Day. Uh, Neighbor Day, as you remember, started in the aftermath of the 2013 floods to show our community spirit. Now, we won't be able to have the big block parties and community cleanups that we normally do on Neighbor Day, but I'm encouraging people to celebrate Neighbor Day in a distant way with your neighbors. You know, you can have a progressive barbecue on your front lawns, for example, um, or to celebrate it virtually. I myself am going to a whole bunch of Neighbor Day Zoom parties tomorrow, one after the other, uh, which I think will be fun. But you can get more information at calgary.ca slash neighbor day and i will give my colleague Councillor george chahal a plug uh in the far northeast of calgary in ward five they're doing their annual community cleanup tomorrow but of uh-huh. course the cleanup uh needs a lot more because that was what was hit so badly by the mm-hmm. storm mm-hmm. and so if you want to show up in ward five in the far northeast and just lend a hand in tidying up post-storm, that would be very much appreciated as well. But do wear a mask if you are. Great idea. Absolutely, and do what you can and do it safely. Thank you for your time, Mayor. Have a good weekend. Thanks, everybody. Have a great Neighbor Day. Have a great weekend. That is Mayor Nahed Nenshi. 6.41 on the morning news. The four Conservative candidates squared off last night in the last official debate of the leadership race. Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, joins us now from Ottawa. And David, the first question after any debate, of course, is did it move the dial in this race? Well, and you're right, that is. And I think it did, actually, or the, or at least the leaders in this race were trying to move the dial. The leaders here, I think everybody knows, is Peter McKay, uh, co-founder along with Stephen Harper of the party, and Aaron O'Toole, uh, current Ontario MP, um, and uh, ran in 2017, finished third in the race that Andrew Scheer would win. But those two guys, those leaders, I think McKay is ahead, but O'Toole's partisans will say, no, he's ahead. Either way, I don't think either leader believes they have 50% plus one. And evidence of that was that last night in what was a very polite debate, we saw both O'Toole acknowledge Leslin Lewis. Uh, Leslin Lewis is a lawyer from Toronto. Uh, she's black. The party loves the idea of Leslin Lewis. Came from Jamaica when she was five. Uh, you know, worked her way up through law school. She's got a master's in environmental studies. She's got a PhD in law. Um, this is the kind of candidate that, uh, you know, female, uh, this is the kind of candidate the party likes. And it's the kind of candidate that Lou, or sorry, that O'Toole and McKay like, knowing they need some support. All night long, they kept saying, "Oh, I agree with uh, Ms. Lewis. Uh, uh. I'd like to echo what Ms. Lewis says." Oh, Ms. Lewis, very good point. And all that to bring on Lewis's supporters. I think she's probably got around twelve percent support. You know, she'll, she'll make it to the second ballot and might fall off there, and then her supporters presumably uh, have a second or third choice. And McKay and O'Toole want to make sure that they're the second choice. Interesting. What were some of the key issues? Issues that you, you saw that's kind of separated the candidates. Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, you know, one issue that's been in the news we've been talking a lot about is is this issue about racism. And all the candidates were asked point blank, do you believe systemic racism exists? Peter McKay, absolutely it does, he said. Leslin Lewis uh, had a really good answer. She said, listen, when we say systemic racism exists, it doesn't mean individual Canadians may be racist, but as we measure outcomes for uh, people of color, it's quite different, obviously, than people who uh, are non-visible minorities. Uh, Derek Sloan, he's the other candidate in the 
race? He, too, said, yes, racism exists. What did Aaron O'Toole say? Refused to answer the question mm. and was asked point blank afterwards by reporters. Come on, you didn't answer the question. Does systemic racism exist? He didn't want to talk about it. So I found that interesting. Oh. And then here's another thing that was kind of neat, and the environment and climate change. Uh, Aaron O'Toole's plan for reducing greenhouse gas emissions, very similar to Alberta's plan, to the plan that Premier Kenny brought in, which is make large industrial emitters responsible for reducing GGEs. That's O'Toole's plan. Uh, the other three candidates, you know, are just scrap the carbon tax and they attacked O'Toole. Now, whatever you agree on it, O'Toole's point to his party is this. Uh, listen, we know we got Alberta sewn up. Conservatives need to win Ontario and Quebec and urban centers, and conservatives will not do that until conservatives have a credible, well-communicated plan on reducing uh, greenhouse gas emissions and dealing with climate change. So that was an interesting challenge that O'Toole put to the rest of his party. So, David, with the French language debate and the English language debate now in the books, uh, where does the race move from here? Yeah, and there's a lot of partisans that wish there was uh, another debate. They'd like to see more, and uh, the, these are the only two, and it's been a race sort of really made a bit awkward by this, uh, you know, the pandemic. Uh, but at this point in time, that is it for debates. There'll be individual calls, I guess, and mailings from uh, from the candidates. If you're a party member, you should expect to get a ballot by the end of July. That's when the ballots will be mailed out, and you have to mail your ballot back in by August the 21st. Uh, the party's a bit vague, though, on when we're going to know who the winner is. They just say sometime after that. I think the party would like to sort of see where we're at on a public health uh, situation. I think they'd like to have a big convention and, you know, the thunder sticks and balloons and all that. But, again, it depends on, on where we're going with uh, the pandemic. All, all we can really say is by the end of the summer, somebody is going to be the new leader of the official opposition and the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. And, you know, David, with all that's going on in the world right now, you know, are all eyes on this or is this really just sort of, you know, oh, yeah, that's happening, too? It's definitely had a backseat. You're absolutely right with all that's going on in the world. I mean, for conservatives, it's important. I can tell you this. I talked to conservative MPs, uh, some from Calgary, who are convinced that Justin Trudeau was going to pull the plug and have an election this fall. We're looking at the polls. We've all seen them. Uh, there's high approval ratings for the Trudeau liberals. Conservatives think that Trudeau will take advantage of that, and they want to be ready, and they need a leader quick. I don't think that's going to happen. I talked to liberals. They're going, this bananas. We're not doing a, it's not, not the time for an election. Uh, but still, you know, conservatives are very keen to get the team in place that is going to be the team that faces off against Trudeau in the next election. Probably next, early next spring or next fall, I would suspect, is when, uh, when that could happen. Well, David, uh, never say never. It is 2020. You never know what's <laughs> yeah, going to happen. True. Exactly. Thank you so much and have a good weekend. Okay, thanks, guys. Cheers. That is David Aiken, Global's chief political correspondent. 6.09 now, and it's that time of the year. We Canadians start looking forward to our summer getaways, but with COVID-19 affecting everything this year, some families are canceling vacations, staying home, maybe not doing anything at all. To start off the conversation about what we need to do and should be doing this summer, we are joined by the CEO of the Vanier Institute of the Family, Nora Springs. Hi, Nora. Good morning. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. You know, summer holidays, that's that's our time as Canadians to, you know, we finally get rid of that winter weather. We can go do stuff and, and now not so much this summer. Well, you know, this is a very weird time for everybody. Mm -hmm. And because we've been confined for so long, um, it's changing the way in which we see our space and our time and how we want to spend it. 
um, people are realizing the importance of time and, and the significance of connections. And so if you think back to what vacations meant pre-COVID, it meant getting away from work. It meant getting time with family that you hadn't seen much of because you've been so busy working and exploring and discovering parts of the country or the world. Well, exploring country in the world, well, so much is closed and parts of it are pretty scary. So families are saying, no, don't want to do that. Spending time with family, well, we've had an abundance of that. And so it's not like we need to um, make time to do that <laughs> these days. Um, and just the uncertainty of everything, um, whether you're working and you've been working from home or you've been working in essential service, all of those kinds of um, uncertainty related to work is changing the way in which people are thinking about vacation. And yet, it's probably the most important time to take a break, to rejuvenate, to reconnect with nature, to reconnect with our loved ones in a way that's less um, uh, forced and more by choice. And, and Nora, in uh, some situations, the family finances have been hit as a result of the pandemic, and that might be influencing and changing plans as well, right? Well, for sure. So what we know when, when families have financial predictability and stability, their decisions are very different than they're feeling vulnerable or at risk or if their finances have changed in any way. So there are a lot of families who are experiencing really tough times financially because they've lost their job. Um, they, they don't know when their next paycheck is coming. They're relying on government benefits and they're not sure how long that's going to continue. And then there are other families whose income has continued and their expenses have dropped dramatically. So they're not spending money on gas for the car or childcare. And so as a result, they are finding a surplus at the end of the month. And so decisions are being made about what to do with the surplus as much as what to do with the deficit. So that too is acting um, questions about what to do with their time, i.e. vacation. Nora, you and the folks at the Vanier Institute of the Family did a survey asking about travel plans. What did you find? Well, we've been asking families week over week since mid-March what they're thinking, how they're feeling, and what they're doing. And what we found is that most people are either curtailing their vacations, so if they were planning vacations out of the country, a lot of those are changing as a result of circumstance, not, not a choice. And so circumstances are dictating to them that they're not going to go to Europe or to um, the States or wherever. Um, others, it's choice. And they're saying, we don't want to make that travel um, or we don't want to um, go our typical way because of the uncertainty and instability. So it's both choice and circumstance. And the data is really clear that um, families, especially families with children, are a little uncertain about the risks that are out there and better to stay close to home and do day trips and explore and discover mm -hmm. close by. Um, I was actually talking to a, um, a gentleman who sells kayaks 
and he said that they sold their year's worth of inventory by the end of April. Wow. A second year worth by the end of May, <sighs> and they're on track to do it again. <laughs> so people are finding different ways to spend their time and, and their resources in recreation and leisure may not consider it vacation in the same way, but we are seeing in the data some very interesting patterns. You mentioned choice and circumstance, and uh, in this instance, the circumstance could be that the restrictions within the province you live in will prevent you from uh, doing plans outside the borders of your province. So there's a a different caveat too. Absolutely. Um, And so that may change the way in which people explore. And so maybe more day trips, maybe more um, visiting with family as we're starting to double our bubbles, um, that may be more likely than going off to a resort or to, um, uh, you know, a long trip somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even affordable ways of doing things, if, if money is super tight, you know, maybe you go visit all the different parks in your, in your very own city. So seeing things that we wouldn't normally go and look at in our very own backyard, maybe that's just, you know, the, the bonus that comes out of this, this pandemic. Well, you know, we've been looking for silver linings from the beginning, and that could be one of those silver linings um, for local communities, for small towns, for small businesses, um, for local industries where people will go to the local chocolate factory or they'll go to um, the local park or they'll explore the hiking trails in their community in a way that um, they might not have had they been able to get on a plane or a train or into their RV and, and take off the way they've done in the past. So we will be tracking this over the course of the summer. Um, we will continue to look at how COVID is impacting behaviors and where those silver, silver linings uh, may be hiding. Mm-hmm. Love it. Going to be a different summer for sure. Thank you for your time, Nora. Well, we'll talk to you again around Labor Day and uh, catch up. I hope you guys get a little bit of a break. Thank you so much. We'll do a review for sure. Thanks, Nora. Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. That is Nora Sprinks, CEO of the Vanier Institute of the Family. And, you know, on that note, as people are kind of obviously staying within Alberta, more than likely uh, Parks Canada has put in a no-stopping zone right now yes. to, protect, to protect that beautiful white grizzly bear. A few people have seen it. I've seen people putting pictures up on Facebook. They've it's around seen Yoho, it. right? Yeah. So, you know, you're not allowed to stop along the highways now. It's obviously not a smart idea anyway if you see a bear. But I know it's it's so tempting when you're, you know, you're you're traveling and you see a bear or something really mm-hmm. cool. But don't get out of your car. Don't stop. And if you see that rare white grizzly, it's been making headlines since it was first spotted last week. Just keep on moving. Maybe, you know, take a, a, a camera picture out your window, but keep on going because, in fact, you can get a big, fat, juicy fine. It's up to $25,000 yeah. if you stop when you're not supposed to. And they say that the bear, this is a, they don't know when and uh, restrictions will be lifted, but they're expecting it'll get enough feed in. Uh, putting a cap on spring and then move deeper in. But right now, foraging yeah. right now. Yep. 718, it's called Donate to Appreciate. Buy a hospital employee a coffee. It's an initiative started by retired firefighter Randy Gom and his partner, Brooke Hatfield, a former nurse. They both obviously understand the importance of our frontline workers, especially over the past few months. Randy joins us now to talk about it. Hi, Randy. 
Hi, Sue. It's great to hear from you. I'm so happy to chat with you this morning. Tell us about this initiative and how we can help out. Well, the initiative um, started, there was um, a woman over in Victoria. Her name was Maggie, and she did a Facebook post. Um, and there was a local coffee shop at the Royal Jubilee Hospital. And she just, the post said, um, if you donate um, to this fund or, or to this Facebook um, post, people can donate coffee, tea, snacks um, to the healthcare workers. And, and it's rather than, you know, I mean, there's great causes as far as for PPE, for ventilators, but this is just to kind of recognize that the healthcare workers, what they're doing, and that the community uh, really appreciates it. So we decided over the weekend, Brooke and I, my partner, why don't we set this up across BC? We approached all the found, uh, hospital foundations, then it spread. Um, we realized things are bad in Calgary and then Toronto. So we pretty well spread across Canada. We have 33 hospitals that are involved. Oh, awesome. And, and, and it's been good because people, um, I talk, did talk to Erin at the local, I was at the Good Earth Coffee Shop, and, and it was interesting. She said, you know, when the doctor, nurse, or the healthcare worker, any, you know, cleaning staff, anybody in the hospital, when they went to pay for their coffee or their tea or their snack, they said, hey, look, it's on the community. And they said it had such emotional impact on the healthcare workers because they're under a lot of stress. So that, that's why we initiated it, and it's, been, uh, it's taken off, which has been great. And what's what's great about it, Randy, is with the social distancing and with the protocols, you literally you want to you know literally put it in the hands of these people. We can't do that, but you can do it from anywhere, I assume. So, how do we donate? Well, you go into the website donate to appreciate dot com, and it has the different hospitals in there. Like there's um, in in Alberta, there's uh, the Alberta's Children's Hospital in Calgary and Rocky View General that would go to the Good Earth Coffee Shop. There's a gentleman's name is Raheem is kind of running that, which is doing a great job. In Edmonton, there's Royal Alexandra Hospital and University of Alberta Hospital. Um, and there's other hospitals across Canada. So if someone has friends, family in Toronto or Quebec uh, um, or Montreal, they can donate there as well. Um, it's yeah, it, the, what we're hoping for is that people pass it on to the social media as well, so everybody will kind of get the word out. It's, it's in, what, what we find is for the healthcare workers, and it's not just the doctors and nurses, it's anybody working in the hospital, they're under a lot of stress. When they got hired on, nobody told them that, hey, down the road, guess what, you're going to be in pandemic and you're going to be putting yourself at risk. So I think it's great for us as a community. Everybody's wondering what they can do, and here's something you can do just to recognize that we so much appreciate what the workers are doing on our behalf. So simple, so small, but makes a big difference. Randy, you were a firefighter. Brooke was a nurse. How important, how key is it for those frontline workers to know that we have their back? It's, it's actually huge because it's great that people are banging the pots and things like that in the evening. But, but our concern is over time, you know, there's always, as we know, there's a lot of things in the news right now. And over time, I'm hoping that won't kind of fade away because this work still needs to be done. This virus isn't going away uh, tomorrow. And, and uh, the, like I said, as me as a, as a firefighter, Brooke as a nurse, um, we, you, you know, you, you show up to work and you do it. Um, but just when the pub, when you know that the public is recognizing what you're doing and you're putting in the long hours, it means a lot. Randy, thank you so much for doing what you do. We appreciate it. And uh, donate to appreciate.com to make it count. Thanks, Randy. Yeah, and thanks for having us on. We sure appreciate it. Randy Gom is a retired firefighter and co-founder of the Donate to Appreciate initiative. 
COVID-19, presidential election, Black Lives Matter rallies and more. No shortage of news happening in the United States right now. We're joined by Washington Bureau Chief this morning for Global News, Jackson Prosco. Hi, Jackson. Good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday to you as well. Let's start off talking coronavirus crisis. Direct quote from earlier this week coming from a New Zealand infectious disease specialist. It really does feel like the U.S. has given up. That's in a quote from the Washington Post. Seems to be the growing sentiment from a lot of other countries as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it really does feel that way when you look at the fact that we are at sustained levels of more than 20,000 new cases per day. But more specifically, when you look at what's happening in the Sunbelt states, Texas, Florida, Arizona, the Carolinas, uh, Alabama, Arkansas, where case numbers are going through the roof. And in many of those states, they're setting new daily records for infections. Uh, Florida saw more than 3,000 new cases yesterday. Texas, the situation is grim. They're running out of ICU beds. Uh, it's as though nobody learned from what happened in New York. Uh, you know, eight weeks ago. And of course, uh, the leading experts, scientists saying uh, still practice social distancing, wear a mask and don't be in closed quarters in large groups. However, that won't be the case Saturday in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Tell us about the size of this rally and uh, of course the fears from the leading health experts. Yeah, we should point out that Tulsa, day after day, keeps setting new local records for new coronavirus infections. But that isn't stopping President Trump from pushing ahead with uh, his own rally. Uh, he's going to have 19,000 people standing shoulder to shoulder uh, inside an arena in Tulsa, uh, despite the objections of local health officials and even some local lawyers who've said, look, the rally can go ahead, but you have to take some basic precautions. And that's really been rejected. And those basic precautions would be requiring masks and requiring people to maintain social distancing. Uh, we're told they will hand out masks, but there's nothing to force people to wear them or require them. Uh, and one of the things that sort of happened down here, it's kind of a curious thing, but uh, masks have become a hot button political issue. And President Trump himself said in an interview yesterday in the Wall Street Journal that he feels people who wear masks in some cases are doing so to signal their opposition to him. Look, it's a public health thing. That's why you wear a mask. It's a public health advisory, but there are states that are reluctant to require people to wear them. And again, it is sort of split along party lines as to whether or not people think it's appropriate. So bizarre. And I mean, the rally Saturday in Tulsa is still being called quite tone deaf, even though it was moved from today, Juneteenth. I imagine there's a big rally going on in Tulsa, Oklahoma, unrelated to the Republicans. There is. It is 99 years since the worst race massacre in American history took place in Tulsa when what was known as Black Wall Street was burned to the ground. Uh, there are commemorations of that today, and they've taken on new significance given the current climate of race relations in this country, but also given the fact that President Trump tried to hold a rally in that city on that date originally. Uh, in that same Wall Street Journal interview, Trump actually said uh, that he essentially took credit for making Juneteenth well-known, basically saying nobody knew about it before uh, he decided to schedule his rally on that day and that is just frankly ridiculous and and let's talk about you know uh, as far as the president's um, image and moving toward november Uh, is it three books right now we talked about that melania uh, book we uh, have uh, heard word of another family member book and now the john bolton uh, book Uh, these accusations in some of these books are they going to change anything or does trump's base remain as solid and it doesn't matter this is just you know um, entertaining reading 
You know, I, I sort of look at it from two different perspectives. One is that people like John Bolton are kind of filling in the blanks, but we already had the general idea. He's yet another former former official who's basically saying that uh, Trump is not qualified, not fit to serve as commander in chief. And then he lays out the reasons why. So that's not exactly new. But what I think is different this time around is that Bolton is torpedoing Trump's main line of attack against Joe Biden because Trump keeps claiming that Biden is too cozy with China. But Bolton's book suggests that, in fact, Trump was being cozy with China because he wanted China's help uh, doing things that would help him win re-election and even giving a green light to China to uh, open concentration camps for its minority Muslim Uyghur population. So that destroys that line of attack. And the second thing is that there is something about Bolton's book that clearly has this White House concern because, look, they're in court today trying Mm. to block its release. Too late for that. That's that's kind of a dead end. Uh, But they're also trying to discredit the book at every turn. So something has them concerned. And any speculation on what that might be? yet, Jackson? You know, it could just be the credibility of John Bolton as somebody who's been a fixture in Washington for a very long time, or it could be the specifics that Bolton's offering. I mentioned China as one example. Uh, the fact that Bolton lays out this sort of sense that Trump was willing to compromise pretty much every American value for the sake of his own re-election. Incredible stuff there. Now let's move on to uh, Joe Biden and uh, his running mate. Uh, who might that running mate be and uh, what are you hearing at this point? Yeah, the search is still on for a running mate. I think Biden has made it clear that it will likely be a woman and likely an African-American woman, recognizing, of course, the significance of this moment in history, but also the fact that uh, he's an old white man. He needs somebody younger, more dynamic, somebody who appeals to the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party. And that's the way the winds have been blowing. So uh, Amy Klobuchar, uh, the senator, has withdrawn herself from consideration, saying that Biden's running mate should be an African-American woman. And uh, who he chooses at this point, still an open question, but there are many candidates being vetted, including Kamala Harris, who, of course, was running for the nomination at one point. We've heard some talk of the mayor of Atlanta being considered, the mayor of Washington, D.C., being considered as well. Uh, Jackson, just to wrap things up uh, on the wire service this morning, the president vowing to pull thousands of troops out of Germany uh, following a pattern of disruptive moves. It's being called against allies that has got a lot of Republicans also concerned. Yeah, and this actually goes back to John Bolton's book, where Bolton says that at one point Trump was fully prepared to walk away and withdraw from NATO. This seems to be an extension of that idea that the U.S. is essentially clawing back on what it has previously considered its international obligations to stand up to Russian aggression. Well, that's, uh, you know, incredible. Lots going on down in the U.S. And I want to ask you this uh, as far as the totals when it comes to coronavirus and deaths. I'm seeing it now around that 120,000 mark. Have there Has there been a readjustment? It seems like in the past few weeks we went from, you know, maybe 140,000 deaths by August with 120 now and by this weekend. Has there been a, an updated uh, version of that? Yeah, unfortunately, the model's not trending well, and they're suggesting 200,000 fat- 200, fatalities by October at this rate. Uh, and really, there is a fear that places like Texas and Florida are on track to be the next New York, exactly a repeat of what we saw in March. Well, thank you, Jackson, for your time. Have a great weekend. Any big plans? Thank you. You know what? Just try to take it easy and catch my breath like everyone else. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you so much. Yeah, take that care. That is Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. I'm Brett McGarry from the Couch Potatoes. New on Crave this weekend, on Sunday, the debut of the HBO limited series, Perry Mason. Mr. Mason, certain matters require discretion and finesse. That's the kind of thing you're good at. Wear your good suit. 
This is my good tune. Emmy Award winner Matthew Reese, who was the co-star of the hit FX series The Americans, stars as the criminal defense lawyer Perry Mason, a character who first debuted in the 1930s. And this limited series is serving as an origin story. How can we help you, Mr. Baggerly? Members of my church. An unspeakable act has visited upon them. Kidnapping gone way wrong. Worst thing you ever seen. What do you know what I've seen? We do what we don't like when there's a greater good to be served. You more than anyone should know that. Set in 1932 as the Great Depression has taken hold, Los Angeles is prospering thanks to oil, movies, and the Summer Olympic Games. Mason is down on his luck, though, but he's hired in a big child kidnapping trial, and what he learns could have major consequences for his client, the city, and himself. The devil put Charlie Dodson in this box. Mr. Mason, it's hard to believe that you're the right person for the job. I'm the only person for this job. Great cast in this, as you've heard in the clips, the unmistakable voice of John Lithgow, also an Emmy winner, and maybe you recognize the voice of Canadian Tatiana Maslany. Blessed be the man who will snap this devil's neck! She's also an Emmy winner for her incredible work on Orphan Black. Perry Mason is eight episodes with a new episode each Sunday starting this weekend on Crave. I'm just about out of moves. You said just about out of moves. So what's the move? Solid I'm Brett McGarry from the Couch Potatoes. 651. We should acknowledge Brett is away this week, so he had uh, prepared that for us ahead of time. He's gave, on a little bit of day off. Who gave Brett a day I off? I don't know, really, honestly. The guy watches movies for a living. <laughs> That's Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes. <laughs> we have been doing dad jokes all this week, okay? It's uh, an official, unofficial thing we've been doing because Dad's Day is this Sunday and the dad jokes have been rolling in. Um, and they're so, so bad. Many great ones. They're no, so, ba- so great. I was Well, that's what I, you know, when oh. I say bad, I mean, you know, bad in a, in a good dad joke way. I've got one here for you, Sue. Okay. What's red and uh, bad for your teeth? What? A brick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where do they store all the dad jokes, Andrew? I'm not not sure where in the database <laughs> data not that da- not data but yeah oh, da- I like that, that Dave was- liked that one uh, why was the ink spot so sad oh how come because his dad was in the pen for such a long <laughs> sentence <laughs> I like that how do you make holy water um, how do you make holy water you boil the hell out of it <laughs> Yours are getting, like, louder laughs than mine. Well, they're funnier. How many moms does it take to replace a light bulb? Mm, Not sure. Only one, but it could take her up to six months to get Dad to do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a half-decent Crowd like that, Andy. How about this one? I bought some shoes from a drug dealer. I don't know what he laced them with, but I was tripping all day. She's here all week, folks. Bad dad jokes. Studio, enjoy the view. Oh, Father's Day, just a couple of sleeps away. It's 8.49 on the morning news, and our Community Champions continues today, the final one before we announce our winner of the $350 gift card on Monday, courtesy of Calgary Co-op, and uh, looking forward to that. But right now, looking forward to hearing about Danny Legresley. He is our most recent nominee and he was nominated uh, by Brandon Kielbeck, who is on the line now. Brandon, thank you very much for taking the time. 
No problem. How are you? Good, good. Well, so obviously you felt strongly enough about Danny and how he's made a difference during the pandemic to family, friends, and neighbors that you wrote in. So we like to get the nominators on the line to tell us the story. What, what, uh, what is Danny's story? So it, right when COVID first started taking off in early April, uh, he teamed up with the Auburn Bay and our community of Auburn Bay and was doing draws on social media where people could nominate a family and he would go pick up a meal for the kids of that family and deliver it and nine out of ten times he was dressed up as a superhero i know he's his favorite was spider-man so that was his go-to but yeah he was making sure that kids that maybe couldn't get fed at home because their parents were laid off or stuff like that were getting meals and he did this uh, probably like 20 30 times throughout april which was awesome so Brandon, that's really cool. Was he paying out of his own pocket? Do you know? He absolutely was. Yeah, it was great. He uh, teamed up with a Canadian Mental Health Society as well. He also runs his own charity. And so between them and himself, he was uh, doing all this, which was just awesome for the community of Auburn Bay. Uh, what about the, the, the uh, dressing up? And, uh, you know, is that the kind of guy he is or is this something new because he wanted to really spruce things up for the work that he was doing? No, he's always been one of those goofy guys, and I think he has quite a full wardrobe of costumes on the regular, <laughs> but I think Spider-Man, like I said, is his go-to. So, Was he ever asking anybody in the community for anything in return? No, never. He, he never will. He will give you the shirt off his back if you ask him for it. Very, it's so cool to have somebody like that in your community because it really changes things. It brings everybody together when you have one person that stands out like that, doesn't it? It really does, yeah. It makes a huge difference, especially with what's going on right now. It was just kind of a, a light of sunshine in people's day, right? It's very interesting to me, though, Brandon, also, because I think this is the third uh, champion story we've read out of Auburn Bay. What is it about the community? It seems like it's very giving or, or very tight-knit for a relatively brand-new community. Yeah, so I've been there for coming up on 10 years, and I have never lived anywhere that has such a strong community vibe. I mean, we will do anything for a neighbor. We help each other out, and total strangers that live there, I mean, if they go through a crisis or they run into some trauma, like the community just bands together, and it's it's pretty cool to see. I've never been a part of anything like it before, and it's, it's really awesome. Well, we're grateful you shared the story. Thanks for joining us this morning, Brandon. And uh, I'm going to ask you probably uh, later on, I'll get Danny's phone number, because Andy wants to borrow his Spider-Man yeah, suit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, a little, it's a little tight, but maybe that's your thing. You never know, right? <laughs> you know him already. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate your no time. No problem. Have a good day, guys. You too. That's Brandon Keelback. He's nominating Danny Legresley who is a resident down in Auburn Bay, just going that extra mile and doing some extra things to make sure, especially the young kids, were, were getting fed in the community. I, I love that story. Some incredible stories over the past month. And on Monday, we'll be announcing our Community Champions Grand Prize winner, receiving a $350 gift card to Calgary Co-op, delivered by the 770 CHQR Community Cruiser, powered by Bow West Appliance. That's on Monday. But another announcement surrounding Community Champions mm -hmm. on Monday as well. Be listening just after 9 o'clock. That's when we will surprise our Community Champion winner, or is it winners? We'll have to see, and uh, we'll speak to them live as we uh, make our delivery to them on behalf of all the thanks that we're trying to give them from the city. It's 852.